Beautiful, isn't it? It's one of the rarest and most expensive objects on the planet. But it didn't start that way. Even the most costly diamond started as a lump of coal. The mightiest forest started as a handful of seeds. A pearl was once a grain of sand held captive by an oyster. A roaring bonfire doesn't exist without a spark. Ask a farmer how to end a drought. It starts with one raindrop. And the single greatest man in all of history, the king above all kings, started his life alongside farm animals. Sometimes the greatest, most powerful, and most beautiful things in life have the most humble beginnings. Good morning. We, uh, before we begin, we want to encourage you on a couple things. Uh, next week, as Nick said, it's our Christmas program. It's a chance for us to show off our kids a little bit. Uh, so I encourage you, invite your family, and it's always a great service and also an opportunity for us, as always, to talk about Jesus. And as Nick pointed out, his, his humble beginnings, but ultimately when our Savior was born. So it's always a great morning. I encourage you to invite people. We are also starting a new series. We may have it right here. I tried to Photoshop the guy out, but it didn't work. I'm just kidding, Ken. Uh, so we're starting a new series in January called Modern Family, and, and this is going to be a series, obviously, directed at, at families, and we're, it's going to be about a six-week series, going to talk about marriage and parenting, but what an awesome opportunity. We talked about, as we were going through the book of Nehemiah, the 259,000 people who don't know Jesus within 10 miles of our church. Within 10 miles, 259,000 people that don't know Jesus. You know what's important to them? Family is important to them. We deal, the, the, the median age, I think, in Johnston is 33 years old. And what comes with a 33-year-old? Kids, right? A wife, a husband. And so we, we think marriage is very important. The Bible has a lot to say about marriage and parenting. And so we as a church who wants to reach the community around us this is an important thing. We also obviously have marriages and kids here in the church. And so we want to train ourselves in, in, in what a marriage, a godly marriage is to look like. We want to train ourselves in, in how we should raise our kids to pursue the kingdom of God, right? And so we want to talk about these things. And, and so starting in January, we're having a series. And this is an awesome opportunity for you to get involved, but also for you to invite someone. Uh, if we want to make a push for you to, to invite someone, this is the kind of series we want to do it. They say January and, and uh, September are the two greatest times a year they're newcomers in the church. And so we want to take advantage of that, and we want to reach people. And, and what a way to do it. You speak to them about family. Speak to them about what the Bible says about family, what God can do in their marriage, what God can do in their kids' lives. And so we want to do it. And if we have some flyers here, again, we want to encourage you to invite people. There's some flyers in back. Uh, if you're on Facebook, there's a Facebook group. Grab that, uh, grab that, share it, invite people to come to that series. Uh, it starts January 6th and runs through February 10th. So again, 
That's our Modern Family series uh, coming up in January. We have started a new series over the next five weeks where we're going to be talking about some of the prophecies in which Jesus fulfilled. Now, uh, a few things. Uh, you can go to the next slide here. The Jewish people had been waiting for a Messiah, okay? The, they were waiting for someone who was going to fulfill what was talked about in the law, what Mo Moses had talked about in the law, what the prophets had also talked about. And you, you go in, you see in John chapter 1, there's a story of Philip and Nathaniel. Philip comes, we've found the one that Moses talked about, that the prophets spoke of. And Philip and Nathaniel encountered Jesus, and they respond to Jesus, and they follow Jesus because they realize that he fulfilled these prophecies. And so the next five weeks, we're looking at some of these prophecies, just a handful. You can go to the next slide. A few things that are important, how they would uh, know that he's the real Christ. These prophetic statements that were made need to be carefully fulfilled, each reinforcing one another, but ultimately... We can show someone what the Bible says. We can show them the 300-plus prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. But there has to be an element of faith, doesn't there? That they themselves, us as individuals, have to come to a realization, this is what the Bible says, and I believe it. I believe in my heart, and I confess with my mouth. So we see these prophecies fulfilled in Jesus, but ultimately there needs to be an element of faith. Josh McDowell says the probability of all these things, over 300 prophecies fulfilled, the probability of all these things being perfectly in one man from all who have walked the earth goes beyond understanding. And these things, these fulfillments, establish a credibility that he is the Messiah. If you remember when my, my father-in-law was here earlier this year and we were talking, going through the spiritual disciplines and talking about the importance of knowing Scripture, and he talked a little bit about this and the probability, and I brought it back up here. Now, understand there's over 300, but the probability that any of these 48 would be fulfilled is 1 in 10 to the power of 157. Anybody good at math? Figure that out for me. 1 in 57 to the power of 110th, or 1 trillion, 10 to the power of 14. I mean, that's, that's a large number. That's the probability that 48, not over 300 of these, would be fulfilled. I mean, I try to think of that in the terms of sports oftentimes and trying to think, okay, if these guys were prophesying about Jesus hundreds, thousands of years before he came, imagine someone coming along and, and predicting the Super Bowl. You know, we predict things often, right? Predict, the, you know, sports figures. They're going to, uh, I think, you know, the Giants may win the Super Bowl this year. But imagine somebody coming along a thousand years ago and predicting, one, that there would even be a sport like the NFL, Two, who would play, what city it'd be in, plays that would happen during the game thousands of years in advance. And that's what this is like, something that didn't even exist. And here we are with the probability, Jesus fulfilling over 300 prophecies. The Jewish people of the time were looking for this. They were looking for a Messiah who was going to come and fulfill these prophecies. You can go to the next one. So we want to look at a few of them. We're going to look at this one this morning, but the virgin birth, talked about in Isaiah 7, comes to fulfillment in Matthew and Luke. Next one. Born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2, fulfilled Matthew 2, 1. Next one. Herod kills children prophesied in Jeremiah, fulfilled in Matthew. Keep going. We can kind of roll through these. Special anointing of the Holy Spirit, preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist, ministry of his miracles, sold for 30 pieces of silver. You know Judas forsaken by his disciples, hands and feet are pierced, uh, garments uh, parted and lots cast, bones not broken, 
and the darkness. We could go on and on, but again, it comes back to that element of faith. And Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we could talk about all these 300 prophecies that were fulfilled, and, and we should. We should study it. We should learn it. But understand, ultimately, I've got to believe it for myself. I've got to study the scriptures, know the scriptures, and respond. Remember when we talked about Nehemiah, how the people were crying out to God? They wanted to know the word so they could respond to it. And so it's important for us to know what the Bible says, to, to study and learn these prophecies, and see how Jesus fulfilled it. And in doing that, we can see who he is as the Messiah and believe accordingly. So we want to talk about this morning is the virgin birth. And I'm going to read here in Isaiah chapter 7. This is the, the prophecy of Isaiah. It says, Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we will call him Emmanuel. You can throw that next slide up here. Uh, Larry King was asked the question. One second, let me pull this up. Larry King was asked the question uh, several years ago. He, he was asked, if you could interview one person throughout the course of history, if you could interview one person, who would that be? He gave a good answer. He said, I would interview Jesus. The person asking the question took it a step further. If you could ask him one question, what would it be? This is Larry King's question. I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. That would define history for me. The virgin birth. Why? Why would that define history for him? The reality is this story, the story of God becoming a man, this story of the virgin birth is going to define history really for all of us. And the question becomes, me, as an individual, what am I going to do with the story of Jesus? And we just can't throw it out. You know, we, we, we talk about the cross. We talk about what Jesus did. We talk about how Jesus died for our sins. But this is where it began. You know, Tim took us to, to Genesis last week in Genesis 3.15. And, and really, that's where we get the first picture, even of the virgin birth. If you, if you look through the Bible and you see the genealogy and and um, not only in Genesis, but throughout the Bible, it's patriarchal, all right, which means father, son, and it will go through and it'll talk about the father and a son, and he had a son, and he had a son, and he had a son. Well, in Genesis, what do we see? Genesis 3.15 with the story, this first picture of Jesus and a Savior coming, a mother will have a son. And there's no reference to, to, to the father there. And in Galatians, Paul even talks about this in Galatians chapter 4. He says this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. And so where Tim took us last week was really the, an inference. The first time we get a picture of it, and then in Isaiah chapter 7, we see it. Here's the prophecy of Jesus coming, a virgin giving birth to a son. This uh, here in Isaiah chapter 7, also important that the uh, as many times throughout the Old Testament, there's kind of a dual prophecy, okay? So you can read through a story like here in Isaiah where Isaiah is prophesying, and there will be a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in the near future and then in the distant future. And, and so people will look at it, and they're challenged that, and we see Ahaz is going to have a son, and that's kind of what the, the 
first prophecy is about. Ahaz is having a son. But ultimately, the dual prophecy is this picture of Jesus. And that's what we're talking about these next several weeks as we're doing our Christmas series, is here is a picture of Jesus. And here is a picture of the way he's going to come. And it says in Isaiah 17, or chapter 7 we read, and it continues over in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, and it says this, For uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, this is more than just Ahaz having a son, right? Because no son of Ahaz was going to be called Mighty God. And here we get a picture of the coming Messiah. And here we get a picture of how he's going to come. What, is, what, is, uh, what does Isaiah say? This is going to be a sign. What's a sign? I'll answer the question. All right, a sign is something that's going to point us to something, right? I don't know if you, I, I remember in the, the movie Bruce Almighty and, and, and Bruce is, uh, he, he's praying, he's asking God, God, show me a sign, show me a sign. All of a sudden this big construction uh, van comes by, there's signs everywhere, danger, don't move forward, turn left, get, get out of the way. All signs pointing him, don't go forward, and he ultimately crashes his car because he doesn't follow the sign. A sign is pointing to something, right? And here, Isaiah is pointing us to a sign. And what's that sign? The sign is a virgin shall give birth to a son. In other words, this isn't an ordinary birth. This is, there's obviously nothing ordinary about it. For us to recognize that when the Messiah has come, it's going to be because a virgin has given birth. That's a pretty big deal, right? <laughs> a pretty big deal. That's how we're going to recognize that the Messiah has come. And that, here is the verse. So we want to turn over now to Matthew chapter 1. And we want to see this fulfilled. And what's important about this is that Matthew, he's a Jewish guy. All right? He's a Jew. And what Matthew is writing the book of Matthew 4 is that the Jewish people may recognize that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. He wants to, to point them to the Old Testament. Okay, you guys know the Old Testament scriptures. You study the Old Testament scriptures. Much like Nathaniel and Philip, they knew the scriptures when they encountered Jesus and they saw what he, who he was, where he came from, and what he did. They recognized that he was the Messiah. And so that is what Matthew wants to point him to. And so we see the fulfillment of this prophecy here in Matthew chapter 1. It says this, Matthew, or verse 18, says this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, you guys understand? Don't have to do a health class thing here, all right? They came together. Before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of Mary, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. 
because he will save his people from their sin. The name Jesus, it's Greek for Joshua, which means God saves, okay? Give him the name Jesus. All this took place, here's the key, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until he gave birth to a son, and they gave him the name Jesus. And here's the story, the, the prophecy being fulfilled. I'm going to read a little more, Luke chapter, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. You kind of catch a theme, okay? It's important. Mary was a virgin. The prophecy is fulfilled, the Old Testament prophecy fulfilled here. This is the sign. This is what they were waiting for. A virgin will give birth to a son, and here he is. And what Matthew and what Luke, what they want to show and what they want to illustrate is that people understand this guy, this guy Jesus, he fulfills the prophecy. And that's why it's so important. You see a question like Larry King asked, and I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born, because that would define history for me. Because if he was, well, that changes everything, doesn't it? If he was, the Bible's true. If he was, then I need to pursue this Jesus with all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength. Now, here's a few things that we want to talk about. First of all, what the birth of Jesus is not. It is not a person becoming a god, okay? There are religions, plenty of them, that will teach that a man becomes a god. A man is born, he ultimately becomes a god. What we know about Jesus is he has always been god. He will be god. We know the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Jesus is part of that. Jesus didn't come into existence at his birth. It says in... in uh, uh, Michael 5, 2, his origins are from the ancient, of, ancient times. John 1 talks about in the beginning he was there. Jesus has always existed. And the last thing, he did not cease to become God. You know, we talk about uh, who, who Jesus was. We talk about Philippians 2, how he emptied himself, that he was fully God and fully man. Another few things that are important is we talk about this story of Jesus and we look at this character in the Bible called Mary, Right? We want to talk about who Mary is not. First of all, there are some teachings, and we, we talk about this because there are some teachings out there, that, that Mary had kind of a special birth, that it wasn't a normal birth, that, you know, basically, you know, they took Mary's arm, cranked it, and Jesus popped out, okay? That's not how it took place. It's, uh, yeah, Micah 5.2 talks about how she was in labor. She would labor, all right? This is a natural thing that took place. Oftentimes, and we want to talk about this because oftentimes there are, you know, like the Catholic Church and some others who want to elevate Mary to a position that, that she's not in. Now, at the same time, oftentimes we, we, we try to go the other direction with it and, and try to, you know, downplay the whole thing. But it's cool to look at a story like Mary because here is a person who's a teenager, you know, 16, 17 years old, but God spoke to her, God called her. She was pure, she was devoted, and she responded to the calling of God. So reading a story like Mary or any other character in the Bible of people who pursued God and his kingdom, man, it's awesome to look at. So it's important to look at someone like Mary, someone who pursued God, someone in, in, 
in incredible circumstances, pursues God, follows God, obeys him and his commands. So it's also important to know that, that uh, Mary remained a virgin. All right, Here, here's the reality. You know, it's always any man would love to marry a virgin. No man would love to be married to one, okay? J Joseph's thought in his mind was, you know, she's a virgin, but understand that Mary did not remain a virgin, okay? The, the Catholic Church will, will teach this. Uh, back in, you know, 500-something, Constantine comes around and, and they decree that, that basically Mary remains and will always be a virgin. A couple things that are issues with that. First of all, as we see at the end of Matthew when we were reading, let me read it for you real quick again. At the end it says, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. We see other stories where Jesus, Mary shows up and who's with her? Jesus' brothers, Jesus' sisters, okay? And so th there's this tendency to kind of lift up Mary into a position she's not in. 1 Corinthians uh, also tells us, 1 Corinthians 7, if you're married and won't be with your spouse, you're basically sinning, okay? And so we see that if Mary was indeed married to Joseph yet remained a virgin, she's basically sinning. I, I put that verse next to our bed so my wife can see that. <clears throat> Luke 2, 7, you know, talks about Jesus was the firstborn. And a dozen times in Scripture, Jesus mother comes with his brothers and sisters. We see James and Jude, individuals, right, who wrote books of the Bible. Jesus' brothers, they saw it. So we want to talk about Mary, and it's an awesome story of Scripture of someone who, who heard God speak and obeyed. And so it's a great example for us to follow, but we want to be careful not to elevate her into a position she is not. So now the question becomes, why is the virgin birth important. And a few things we want to look at. First of all, Scripture says it. We've talked about it. Scripture is God-breathed. God has written these things so we may know it. God has written so we may study the Scripture, we can know it, and ultimately we can do what? We can obey it. We can speak it. We can tell others about it. And the story of the virgin birth is so important because it is a sign of the Messiah who is to come. And so we want to know what the Bible says, not just so, again, we've talked about this over the past several weeks, not just so we know and we have knowledge, but so we can obey. We can be doers of the word. And God wants us to know the story of how his son came into the world because it is a sign. It is a sign. This is how you are going to know the Messiah is here because a virgin will give birth to a son. And so this story of Christmas, it's awesome to remember when we come together this time of year and we talk about Christmas and all the cool things about Christmas, but it's a chance for us to remember the sign that God has given. And this prophecy fulfilled is exactly that. We can see what God has given. We can see the sign that God has given through the birth of his son. So scripture says it, it's important, we need to know it. The second thing is we just talked about, but it's a sign. You know, God gave us this sign so the world may know that he sent his son. He wanted the Jewish nation to know, here are the signs, here are the prophecies, Jesus has come to fulfill it. 
Uh, even Mary worshiped Jesus as the Son of God. And he, here's, here's an important thing. You know, you can look at a story like Mary, and again, we don't, we don't elevate Mary to a position that, that she's not, but we look at as someone like Mary. If, if we would ask the question to any parent in here, is your child God? What would your response be? How long does it take us for to realize that they're not? Right? Not long. I know my son, right? It doesn't, it doesn't take me long. You know, first thing in the morning, I'm always realized about that, you know. Love my son, but he's not always obedient. So Mary here encounters, has this experience, but is there anyone, anyone more than Mary that could have said, no, this isn't. This person is not God. Mary was that person. But yet we see in, in Acts chapter 1, She's worshiping Jesus. She's singing to Jesus as if he's the son of God. So Mary gives us an example, gives us a picture of someone who realizes who he is and responds to it accordingly. Mary realizes who she is. Mary realized that if anyone could have been without sin or anyone could have pointed out the sin that Jesus had, it would have been Mary. So we come back to the question. Go one more slide there. And Larry King asked, if you could ask one question to Jesus, what would it be? Are you really born of a virgin? Because if it is, that defines history for me. That's a question as we encounter Jesus, we all gotta ask. Not, not only this, but, but as we encounter Jesus, the question becomes, what are we gonna do with this story of Jesus, because that will define history for every single one of us. For Larry King, for me, for you, history for you is going to be defined on what you do with this question to Jesus. And so as we look and we see the story of who Jesus is, his humble beginnings, and how he came, the question then, how do we respond? Because if this story, <laughs> this story isn't true, well, the Bible's not true. If this story isn't true, the Messiah has not yet come. If this story isn't true, then Mary is one crazy woman. But if this story is true, it should change us, shouldn't it? If this story is true, I should live differently. If this story is true, it changes the course of human history. And we can look, and we can study Scripture, and we can see that this man, Jesus, he came and he fulfilled all this prophecy in the Old Testament. One to the whatever power beyond any of us can do any math. It's crazy. It's crazy. And Jesus came and fulfilled it. So the question is for us is what are we going to do with this man, Jesus? That will define history for all of us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the story. We thank you for the time of year that we've come upon, that we can think about Jesus, that we can remember his birth, his humble beginnings, and how he came into the world. God, as, as we encounter this question that, that Larry King wanted to ask, God, how about us? What are we going to do with Jesus? That's going to define history for us not only now, but for all eternity. And God, wherever we are this morning, we ask that you would challenge us, that you would speak to our hearts. And if we don't know your son, if we don't have a relationship with your son, 
that you would help us, that you would show us that the Messiah has come, that a king has been born, a savior has been given to us. God, show us our sin, show us how we've fallen short of you, and God, help us to fall to our knees, that we can even be like Mary, who recognizes that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is God, that Jesus can save her from her sins. God, that's who Jesus is for us, and help us to respond that way. We think of the bread and the juice and reminded of this picture, not, not only that you came into the world in such humble beginnings, that, that you emptied yourself, that, that you were born as any man would be born, but God, ultimately, what your son did for us in going to the cross. And remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. That this had to take place for us to be forgiven, for us to be made new, for us to have a new life, to be made a new creation, Jesus had to die for us. And so we want to remember that this morning. Not only do we want to remember his birth, we want to remember his life. Ultimately, we want to remember his death and this great sacrifice that was paid for us. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. And we thank you for the resurrection, the power over sin, the power over death, that we can be made new, that we can live a new life. It's in his precious and holy name we pray. God is with us. Amen. together as we leave this morning. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection has changed history. It is history. And God, may that be real in our life, what we do with this man, Jesus. God, may, may it change how we live. May it, may it change how we live our lives and the things we do and how, how we tell others of this story. God, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for this time of year when we remember this sign that was given, that a Messiah has been born, that a King has been born, that a Savior has been born. And we, as lost people, as sinners, as far from you, could be made right and whole through your Son, Jesus. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing that we could be made right, that we could have a, a relationship with the living God. And it's all because your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming.